This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the operational challenges associated with accountable care organizations. With me to discuss the topic is Dr. Rich Morell, co-medical director of the West Med Medical Group in Yonkers, New York. Rich, welcome to the program. Thank you, David. Dr. Morell's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, listeners may recall I interviewed Kavita Patel over three years ago about the Medicare Shared Savings Program, or ACOs, and discussed CMS's other major payment reform initiative, Bundled Payments, with Jim Gira earlier this month. Today, there are over 430 Medicare ACOs providing care to approximately 7.5 million Medicare beneficiaries. The program to date, however, has been at best a mixed success. While performance year three or 2015 performance results will not be made known until this September, we know from 2013 and 2014 performance year results, only about 25% of ACOs have been successful. That means they sufficiently lowered their expenditures to earn shared savings. Because CMS is largely banking on the ACO program to lower Medicare spending growth, or keep the program financially solvent, it's important to have some understanding of how the program actually is implemented in the practice setting. To discuss the operational challenges under the ACO payment model is, again, Dr. Rich Morell. So with that, Rich, let me start with the uh, intro question. Can you provide us a brief overview of WestMed? Yeah, so WestMed Medical Group is a multi-specialty group. We are physician-owned and physician-run. We're fairly young. We're 20, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this July. We're located in Westchester County, New York and Fairfield County, Connecticut. Uh, for those not familiar, Westchester County is the first county north of the Bronx. We are, we have about 330 physicians, about another 80 to 100 mid-levels, uh, caring for about 300,000 physicians. Okay. Thank you. So you've been an ACO, and let me just ask very generally, um, why did you enter the program? And we'll start with that, and I'll follow up with what your experience been to date. So <clears throat> we actually entered it as a learning experience. Uh, you know, we feel that our job as management is to uh, prepare the group for the future. Uh, when the initial ACO rules came out, uh, I think it was very unattractive to most groups. Uh, when they changed it uh, for the rules for the, you know, the initial ACO offerings, we, we decided it was important for us to learn how to do this. Uh, we weren't sure if we would be successful or not, but uh, we wanted to, to investigate, you know, managing total cost of care. Okay, and what's, let's talk about your ACO experience. Can you give me an overview uh, what's happened to date? Yeah, so we started uh, the beginning of 2013. Uh, we have approximately 12,000 uh, covered lives in our ACO. We 
our initial benchmark was uh, $9,397, uh, which is quite low, actually, for the area we're in, the, where the average spend in Westchester is about $11,000. We actually had, we did fairly well our, our first year. Uh, we lowered costs uh, to nine, two, uh, sorry, 9259 uh, But unfortunately, they updated our baseline, as David, you and I have talked about before, right. uh, with, uh, by the RAF scoring, and they lowered us to 9054 so we actually had an increase in cost of a little over about $135,000 uh, in our first year. Uh, in our second year, we actually were very successful uh, and had lowered costs down to 8478 We were successful on two counts where we scored very high on quality metrics for about 92, nine, uh, you know, a little over 92%, which actually put us 21st in the nation for quality. And we had about three, well, almost $3.3 million uh, in savings. Uh, so a total of seven, almost $7 million in savings. Uh, we were entitled, we optioned for up to $3.2, $3.3 million, of which we got $3.1 million in savings. Unfortunately, in 15, it appears our costs have gone back up. Recent, we won't have the final data, as you said, until later this year. Uh, but we were up to a little over $9,300 again. So you're a, you're a very interesting ACO because, as you noted uh, at the outset, you're below your region in per member per year spending at 9000 plus. In 14, you dropped that to $8,400 approximately. That is actually quite remarkable. And also, too, you mentioned having uh, complementary high-quality scores. So, of course, the question is, how did you do this? So a lot of it was existing and, and historical, I think, for, you know, to get to that, uh, you know, the 9,300 that we were at for, for 13. WestMed operates on a, what's called, what we call a polyclinic basis. So we have five large offices, each around 80 to 100,000 square feet. We'll house a primary care base there. We house... Um, all subspecialties. We have almost every specialty except for cardiothoracic surgery. We have imaging up to MRI. We have in-house lab, in-house pathology, uh, and it's all interconnected uh, on one unified EMR. And I think that that allows us just from that, the, the, the comprehensive, unfractionated patient care allows for high quality and allows for, for cost savings. You don't repeat a lot of tests. A um, couple other advantages. We are you know, purely outpatient. We're not a hospital, so we don't have a side of service differential. Uh, our big goal is to keep things out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you look back at our numbers, uh, our, you know, we, we have urgent care centers. Um, that helps us with uh, emergency room visits. So uh, as our emergency room visits are usually in the low 400s, whereas you look at the average AS. Uh, ACO across the country, uh, it's over 660, so uh, per thousand. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, using our urgent care, keeping those off hours, allowing access for patients. Um, we also have lots of uh, clinical programs. We have a, we had a big variation reduction program, mm -hmm. uh, looking at how 
you know, we challenged each department to come up with different processes for how, say, hypertension was treated at WestMed, how uh, chest pain is evaluated at WestMed, and decreasing that variation improves quality of care. Okay, thank you. So you're fairly built out, and uh, that was a contributing factor as well as you did a, a, sounds like a pretty good job, intentional job of reducing ED, hospital, and hospital bed days. Let me ask you about, uh, since you have three-year or full agreement period experience, what would you say are the imperfections, or as I said at the top, operational challenges with the model or how it's currently uh, regulated? Well, the, the two biggest challenges for us are that we, we're not getting any credit uh, for all the success we had before starting the program. We're purely competing against ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to always do better. Right. Um, you started out doing well. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, we have put a big investment into doing better. Mm-hmm. You know, we've hired, uh, we have in-office case managers in, in each uh, office. We started a behavioral health program because we knew that, uh, you know, mental illness is a major contributor uh, to total cost of care. We lose a significant amount of money each year on our behavioral health program, but we feel that that's important uh, to lowering total costs. We started a palliative medicine program, also at a direct financial loss, but contributes to total savings. So we have multiple programs like this, as well as a tremendous uh, IT infrastructure for data analysis, risk analysis, quality metrics, uh, EMR customization for closing gaps in care. These are huge investments that we've put in, allowed us already to do better uh, than our neighbors, uh, helped us to get even better than we were, uh, but we don't feel that we've been appropriately reimbursed for that. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask about At the, least for Medicare. Let me ask you about the financials then. So you said in 13, your first year was more or less a wash. Second year, you're very successful. Uh, this past year, it's uncertain, but possibly uh, you'll not qualify for earned shared savings. On balance, having now uh, worked through a full agreement period, what's your estimate on investment and return? I think we're, we're about net even. So probably did better than you, well, not probably, you, you did better than most. Right. Uh, because, again, three-quarters uh, made the investment, but no return. Or, as I like to say, got the trophy, possibly, but not the check. Right. <laughs> let me... Let me right. So, you're, you're going to continue this year, technically not so, but tell us about your plans for next year. Yeah, so we are continuing uh, in 2016. We basically re-upped, uh, so we're still on track one. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, you know, we're continuing with it. We're continuing to focus uh, on different ways that we can improve uh, beyond uh, uh, what we do. Um, looking at, uh, again, hospitalizations. We've started some new programs uh, around transitions in care. Uh, we're managing our own patients at uh, short-term rehab because that was a huge cost bucket. Um, we're doing more you know, in ER evaluations of our patients to see if someone actually warrants an admission uh, and trying to uh, do direct discharge and follow-up as an outpatient from the emergency room. 
So we're, you know, we're continuing to focus on this as well as, uh, we still have our other programs going with case management, PalMed, behavioral health, everything else we've done. Uh, and it's, you know, waiting to see what, what the future holds. Yes, you excuse know, me. Gonna... Right, excuse me. You're playing this year, not you, you re-upped and started again or anew uh, this year. Excuse me. Correct. Um, you probably know, well, certainly you know, the uh, agencies put out a proposed rule to go to a regional benchmark or regional blend. So instead of chasing uh, your historical um, going forward, now your benchmark will be reset using in part historical and in part regional. This uh, would favor your organization since, again, your per member per year costs are below uh, your regional spending. Yeah. So my guess would be you're looking forward to possibly more over your third agreement period. That Yes. So that's our big hope, that if this does come to fruition uh, and, you know, we... Uh, in 2017, we do have this mixed uh, kind of blended benchmark. Uh, even if we stayed at our 9,300, uh, you we may look at over six million dollars in, in shared savings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me ask, since you are evolved in your care delivery model and now have experience in the Medicare Shared Savings Program, there are other offerings. Of course, these are at risk, uh, high reward, but of course. There's a downside risk um, that counterbalances that. We do know that of the 434 ACOs, uh, 415 approximately are still in the no-risk track one. What's your sense of just the provider community at large relative to uh, their ability and competency to move into, uh, specifically in this instance, a Medicare track two or three or at-risk agreement? Well, you know, it's just, it's concerning. I think uh, it's significant risk for a group um, because you don't have full control. You know, patients are able to go uh, mm-hmm. in and out of your ACO. They're able to go to any Medicare provider. Um, and because, you know, Medicare is not completely just with all of the rules, uh, whether it be RAF scoring, uh, the new patients coming in, an adjustment for that, uh, or the benchmarks, uh, until it's a fair playing field, uh, I know we're going to be hesitant to, to take mm-hmm. any downside risk. And clearly from the numbers, uh, we're in the vast majority. So when you, so you're referring to risk scoring. So let me ask, so that's a setup question, or that question begs this question, which is, again, uh, being an evolved provider, uh, physician-based, having the experience you have, what's your recommendation or what are the um, dials uh, CMS needs to turn up to improve uh, this model from your perspective? It's really those. It's the two. It's the appropriate risk scoring Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the appropriate benchmarking. And when you say, let's start with the latter, with appropriate. So I mentioned we're going to regional, presuming this proposed rule goes final, which means a regional blend. This, of course, favors your organization. So that would be largely it on the benchmarking? Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, the risk adjustment can get technical pretty quickly. This has to do with the continuously enrolled. Um, let's leave that as an aside. But put mm-hmm. your comment about beneficiaries can come and go. Unlike Medicare Advantage, they don't enroll. They can see any willing Medicare or qualified Medicare provider. Uh, and, in fact, they may not even know they're in an ACO, uh, so they're not 
knowledgeable whether they're using one or not. Um, mm -hmm. And this is this issue of unstable assignment or patient churn. What do you think the agency can do to better address this such that, and this is the complaint fair by providers that, you know, you're holding me responsible for patients I may not even know are assigning me until, you know, nine months after my performance year ended. Mm -hmm. So how does this get uh, addressed? So I think that's going to be, that's almost impossible to, to take on. Um, you know, and we're, we're just outside of Manhattan and New York City. Uh, we have some of your most expensive health care takes place. Mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, a population that uh, um, not only will go into Manhattan for expensive care, but the, we have a number of snowbirds who will, you know, spend their winters mm -hmm. down in Florida or other areas and bounce back and forth. Uh, and we have, you know, we're not in the, the middle of a rural area. We're in an urban area where our patients have a lot of choice. Um, I don't think you can take in, in a Medicare program to take that, a straight Medicare program, take that choice away from them. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't anticipate that happening anytime soon. Uh, you know, we help to uh, compete on that by just offering a better patient experience. And you offer better patient experience, you keep your patients uh, within your organization. Mm -hmm. What, just a uh, finer point on this specifically, I'm sure you estimate or calculate Year over year, say you begin the year January 1, you have an assigned uh, ACO population. Next year, how many of those do you lose? We're, we're about the national average. We have uh, about a 20% uh, turnover each year. Okay. Let me uh, move to, and this will probably be our last subject, um, you're well aware of macro legislation passed. Technically, it doesn't start till 19. There are two pathways, uh, the merit-based instead of payment system, MIPS, and then the alternative payment model under the latter. That's a 5% bonus if you are a qualifying APM. The proposed rule on macro is not out yet, but it's expected that a qualifying APM would have to mean at least a track two or an at-risk ACO, track two or three. Um, does macro, or how does macro play into your business planning over the next few years? So, so we're hoping that there you won't have to be in track two or three. Mm -hmm, right. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, that seems to be the consensus at the moment. You will have to be, <laughs> but we'll see what the proposed says. Right. Right. But I mean, you know, basically, uh, we'll have to look at the numbers, and, and it depends on what. So, certainly, a five percent uh, bonus for Medicare is, is substantial, um, and in addition. Uh, if they do the accurate benchmarking, there's a, a large upside for us. Mm -hmm. uh, so taking those two into account, we'll do a, a risk analysis for, for where, mm -hmm. you know, what our upside and downside potential is and what we estimate our risk is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I, we're at our time boundary. I was just going to make the joke, Rich. I'm, I'm assuming you, you and I, I know this from your bio, you do have a master's in medical management, so... Um, unlike many providers, you bring a very strong business acumen to uh, your practices planning, which is always a good thing. Thank you. Um, so with that, we are at our time boundary. So Rich, very, very uh, thankful and appreciative for your time. Uh, very good overview about your experience as it relates to this program. Uh, so very helpful. Thank you again. That's my pleasure. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, 
To suggest a program topic or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.